Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk. I'm Kat Troyer. I'm Liz Bronson. Hey, Liz. Welcome back. Hello. Yes, I flew in today from spring break. Whooped it up. Uh, And I am so excited about today because we have a guest who I have known for a very, very long time. I won't age us, but we have known each other since we were wee children uh, in the 10th grade, both starting a new school at the same time. And uh, Chris Gaither is our guest. Thanks to both going to high school together as well as both living in San Francisco. And of course, now thanks to social media, I've been watching his exciting career. And what's been especially exciting to me has been his most recent evolution. Without further ado, I'd love for you to tell your story and tell us how you got to where you are now. Sounds good. Thank you, Liz. Can I age us or should I keep that secret? You can age us. (laughs) I'll keep it secret. Mm. No, I'm not going to keep it secret. Who am I kidding? So I am 43 years old and I am embarking on the third act of my career, which feels way too young to be on a third act, but I'm going to give it a try anyway and see how long uh, this one goes. The first act was as a journalist. I was a reporter and then an editor for about 12 years, most of that time covering Silicon Valley. Uh, I worked for the New York Times and the Boston Globe and then was the technology editor for the Los Angeles Times. And I got really burned out in newspapers and looked to see what else might be out there uh, that might catch my interest and ended up going into my second act, which which was working in the technology business in communications. And I worked at Google and at Apple and did that for a decade and learned so much and then got terribly burned out once again. And now I am in the third act, which... I'm hoping is a burnout proof job because now I'm focusing on uh, coaching and personal and professional development. And I figured it's kind of like being a yoga instructor if you want to stay healthy into your old age. So that's, that's what I'm hoping. Excellent. Well, welcome. Welcome, Chris. We're very excited to talk with you tonight. Thank you. So tell me more about this yoga instructor metaphor that you've got going. Like, how do you see what you're doing now? in terms of this sustainable health and growth for your career going forward or in this third act? Yeah. You know, sustainable is a, uh, it's ironic that you use that word because in the last several years that I was at Apple, I was a director on Apple's uh, sustainability team and I oversaw Apple's Earth Day campaign. And I really spent a lot of time thinking about corporate sustainability and planetary sustainability. And the thing that I seem to have forgotten along the way was the human sustainability part of it. You know, how do I stay fresh? How do I stay energized? How do I stay excited about the work that I'm doing and um, take the rest and the inward looking, um, you know, reflection and everything else that I needed to do to stay healthy so that I could continue to do the work that I love. And, you know, in coaching, I love working with people who feel stuck, um, whether it's in a career choice or in feeling like they don't know what their purpose is. You know, why am I here? What's my calling? Um, Or, you know, they're struggling with something in their personal life. And I did it because I really thought it would be fun to work with them. But in the process of doing it in in training and in, in being a coach, I'm having to spend so much of my time asking myself those exact same questions. And I think that's where the yoga instructor analogy goes back to, you know, that in my experience, burnout is 
the result of ignoring for long stretches of time those voices inside of you, the wise voices that are saying, what you're doing to yourself right now is really bad. Mm-hmm. Please stop and please do something that is more healthy. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give to like yourself three years pre-burnout or to that person who's going to work every day who's like, oh, I got to get up. I got to do it. I got to do it for the family, for the this, for the that. Like, What advice do you give to that person who feels themselves burning out and feels stuck? You know, the advice that I would give is in fact to listen to what that wise voice inside of yourself is telling you. Um, Because our, you know, our brains have a lot of wisdom uh, baked in them deep underneath those noisy chattering uh, voices that tell us all the reasons why we can't do what we really want to do or why we're, we'd be terrible at it. Um, And also our bodies have a lot of wisdom in them. Uh, So in my case, I had, I had kind of the classic symptoms of burnout, but I just didn't know that that's what they were. You know, I was really tired all the time. Um, I was having trouble concentrating on one thing for more than honestly a few seconds at a time. You know, um, like on the Mac, if you hit command tab, you can switch back and forth between different applications. I was physically doing that. And when I wasn't at my computer, it was like my brain was doing that, just switching back and forth between different things. And I just couldn't stay focused on one thing for more than you know a short period of time. I also found that the kind of well of creativity, the well of ideas um, that I had really been excited about and, and proud of for a long time in my career was... Uh, was really run dry. You know, I just I kind of didn't have any more ideas. And that was embarrassing. And it didn't feel like me and I didn't know what was going on. And on top of all of that, you know, I just had lots of pain and I just associated them with injuries that I had had in, uh, in my past. But I think it was really my body's way of saying, you're ignoring me, you're ignoring me, we're just going to keep turning up the volume, you know, until you can't ignore uh, the pain anymore. And then you have to take action. So I don't know. I mean, if, if I was to go back and advise, you know, advise myself, I would say find a way to take more rest and to take more breaks in the work that you're doing. You know, the thing is that the three years that I spent in the last job that I was at an Apple were in many ways my most fulfilling years in my career. You know, I loved the team that I worked with. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved the stuff that I was working on. So I wouldn't not do it. If I had the choice to do it all over again, I would do it again. I would just try to be smarter of, uh, about how to take care of myself. How do you find the time? I mean, I know as a parent, as an employee, working person, as a spouse, as a person who owns a home, I mean, it's a lot of stuff. And so while it sounds really great to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to take time for me, it, it also is really hard. So how do you do it? I mean, what, what are some tips around that? Yeah. You know, I hear this from a lot of people and I heard it from myself for a long time also. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have time to take care of myself. How do you have time to not take care of yourself? You know, that's how I started to approach it. And there are things that we can do that are very small in the grand scheme of things. I read in a book just yesterday that if you meditate for 30 minutes, but we'll apply that to running. If you run for 30 minutes or you unplug from 
your podcasts and your phone and, and everything else for 30 minutes, that's only like 3% of your waking day. It's only like 3% of your waking hours. So that's just a tiny little fraction of your time. And if you do that, it makes you better at all those other things that you were just talking about. It makes you a better spouse. It makes you a more patient spouse. It makes you a more generous and giving and understanding spouse. Same thing with being a parent, same thing with being a colleague or a manager. You know, when you are frazzled and exhausted and unable to see much beyond your own fatigue and your own, uh, your own misery, it's kind of hard to be good to other people. So all of that said, it is really hard. It is really hard. And I have already found, you know, I took time off last year and it was the most remarkable thing that I've ever done in my life. And I really spent time working through what matters most to me. And then once I figured that out, I spent time deeply engaging with those things that matter most to me. And I loved it. And I, I felt you know, the analogy that I used to, to give to people is when I was really burned out, I felt like a broken device. And what do you do if your phone or your computer isn't working and you go to the tech support? They ask you, have you tried rebooting your system, right? And so that's what I decided I would do. I would try rebooting my system. And I think I had let it get to the point where I needed to, to do that, you know, to take that longer extended period of time. And I was, am very fortunate that I worked for companies that did very well and that compensated me well so I could afford to take that time. But when I started going back and, and into working, um, you know, now I'm juggling a pretty full workload of coaching one-on-one clients, of doing communications advising for a subsidiary of Alphabet uh, called X, which is a moonshot factory, um, used to be called Google X. And I'm finding that I'm spending a lot of time again thinking that I need to spend more time uh, doing all these things that will make me feel better and less time actually doing them. So being aware of it is, is important and just saying, you know what, if I don't do it, for me, I'm able to say, if I don't do it, I know where this story ends and it, it doesn't feel good. Well, it sounds like it's a really individual kind of process, right? When people you know, the process that you went through was very personal, right? You got clear on what was important to you and then tried to align with that. Uh, so it's it's kind of like, there's not a formula that is what everyone should do, right? It's a much more unique process. Before we we hit record here today, we were talking a bit and you had talked about being gentle with yourself. And that's something that really resonates for me. And it's a practice that you know, I've been working on for years and years to try to be a little bit more gentle with myself. And I think you want to speak a little bit about that maybe? I would love to, but I would love to hear what being gentle to yourself looks like to you. It's about focusing on progress and not perfection. It's about doing your best every day. And sometimes, some days your best is stronger than others and to find peace with that. You know, for me personally, I've got a self-care plan that has a, a few different components that really resonate for me and has really helped me to to take some forward movement and to reach some goals. So I I mean, I'm such a firm believer in self-care. You know, I, I'm someone who's had adrenal exhaustion in the past. So that's, you know, that's like extreme burnout, right? I was forced to slow down. And I think that, you know, so many of us in this modern time that we're living, you know, we're going, 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 doing, 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 and we don't leave any time for ourselves. And also our culture tells us time for ourselves isn't really important. Although I, I'm hoping that that's changing. So that's kind of what gentle means to me. 
Yeah, I really hope that's changing also. And I'm, I don't know, I'm just, I'm moved to hear about how you're prioritizing your own well-being in that, you know, and I think that's so important. Even if you want to look at it from the most narrowly career-focused perspective, there are still really strong arguments for taking good care of yourself. I mean, the way that I think about it sometimes is that it's like training for a marathon by doing nothing but running for marathons, right? If you do that, your body is going to fall apart pretty quickly. And you, um, you can't have the career that you want for yourself, that you dream of for yourself, to have the energy that you need, to have the creativity that you need, to have the concentration you need, to have the, the feeling of flow that you can settle into, unless you take breaks away from it. Amen. And sometimes it's even as simple, you know, back to your question, Liz, about how do you fit this into your day? Sometimes it's really as simple as like turning off the radio. You know, I was, I was driving back from Silicon Valley this evening. I spent the first part of the drive talking to a good friend of mine who lives in New York, who I always talk to um, whenever I'm feeling like I want to uh, work through th- some, some stuff. He's just, he's a great, a great friend. And after I finished talking to him, I started listening to the radio and I listened to it for about a minute. And then I said, you know what, instead of that, I want to listen to how I'm processing the way that that conversation went. Because I felt like there were lessons to be learned from the conversation I had with him. And if, if I was just listening to a radio, a radio show or music or a podcast, hey, don't get me wrong. Podcasts are awesome. Yeah. Put in the plug. Um, <laughs> but if you don't step back from them, like when do you process Mm-hmm. the the inputs that you're taking in. And what I found is that if I am listening to podcasts that have meaning to me and that teach me things, and I'm reading books and I'm having conversations and I'm doing my own writing and I am just trying to see connections in the world, it's not until I sit back and be still for a little bit and be quiet that those connections start to form. You know, So what I did was I just turned off the music in my car and I just drove up 880 Mm. really slowly. It's a fun commute. <laughs> yep. I know that commute very well. I did yeah. that for, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very happy to be only doing that one day a week now. But I just you know, kind of sat in traffic and drove in silence. And it felt regenerative. Mm-hmm. You can find those moments. You know, what, if, what if you go for a run without your headphones on, without listening to music? What if you, you know, spend the first 30 minutes of an airplane flight a business trip or something, instead of reading a book or preparing for the meetings you're going to, what if you just sit quietly and just see what comes up for you? You know, what, what are you, what are you noticing? You know, you'll probably drive yourself nuts the first few times that you try it. I certainly know that I did. Um, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of great stuff that happens in, um, in quiet. I am very aware that I sound like a, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you from Oakland, California. I sound like a Northern California hippie, but even looking at it through the very pragmatic lens of how can I be as good as my, at my career as I can possibly be, if you don't take care of yourself and step back and give yourself a chance to recharge, just like you would if you were training for uh, you know, a physical event, you're not going to be at the top of your game. It's funny that you say that because I found that when things were a little nutty and I was always having my best ideas in the shower. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm having my best ideas in the shower because it's the only time that I'm, there's no input and I'm on rote, you know, just showering, which I know how to do. So, <laughs> so it, and I just realized I needed more time to think because that's where I was having my ideas for advice to give to clients or things to do with the kids mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And 
it's that quiet time that's when you're able to be creative. But if there's constant input, you're constantly processing and you're not able to process thoroughly and come up with new things. So I think that's a really awesome advice. Um, yeah, there's nothing there's nothing magical about hot water, you know, for generating ideas. It's not it's not about that. It's just it's the it's one of the only times when we are um, allowing ourselves to be by ourselves, and mm-hmm. it's because even though most phones are waterproof these days, we we're not bringing them into the shower with us. Mm-hmm. Please, let's not and no FaceTime. We have to have some boundaries, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't judge. I don't judge. Yeah, uh, yeah and I think it. it it's so neat because you think about time off and it's a good time to realize that you're not indispensable. You can take time off and the world doesn't come to an end. Like you don't have to yeah. answer that email. You know, if you're a doctor on call and your pager goes off, you've got to go. But assuming you're not that, it's okay. You know, I had someone while I was on break miss an interview. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. It's not great, but everyone's living and okay. So moving on, and I was cross-country skiing with my husband, which was more important at that time. Mm-hmm. Sorry, candidate. Well, it's, you know, what we do is important, but it's not brain surgery. No. So sometimes things happen. Mm-hmm. And, and I would also argue that even brain surgeons need to take a rest. Absolutely. <laughs> so, that, Absolutely. So, that they, so that they can be good at brain surgery. The last thing you'd want is a brain surgeon who hasn't had enough rest. I mean, that would be scary. Absolutely. Just not when they're on call. That's, (laughs) you know, that's all. Um, So how do you balance the work that you are loving doing with the pay the bills work? How are you balancing all of that? Mm, With great uh, difficulty. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. It depends on the week. You know, it depends on the day. It depends on the month. It depends on the year. I I don't know. You know, for me, this is, um, this is kind of new territory because I had talked about balance for the first 20 years of my career. And I did a very poor job of actually delivering on that. And it's because I tried to say yes to everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. And it meant that I felt like I was doing a bad job of everything Mm -hmm. uh, way, way too often. And so now I'm just, I try to be smarter about the things that I say yes to and the things that I say no to. Um, but I also love talking to people. I love learning new things. I love sitting down and having coffee with people. And so um, I probably still say yes to, to more than I more than I should. And then I get in trouble uh, with my family for not being home enough. And, you know, I course correct. Um, but, you know, the, the, the course correction can't happen if you don't pay attention. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't pay attention to how you're feeling about it and, and you don't pay attention to the impact that you're having on the people around you. You know, if you're not home for your family, they'll tell you one way or another, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're not, if you're not there for your, uh, you know, for your, your colleagues at work, they'll tell you one way or another. And I think similarly, you can tell them what matters to you. You know, I mean, one of the things that I really tried to do when I, you know, have led teams is to set a model for them that it's okay to leave at an early hour so that you can go home and see your family. And I would say, listen, I'm going to be on the bus. I'm going to be on the bus for probably two hours going from Cupertino up to Oakland. You know how to find me. I'm just not going to be here in the office. And if you need to go home too, no worries. Just get your stuff done. You know? And if you find that you're not able to get your stuff done in the amount of time you have, let's have a conversation about what you should drop and what your priorities should be. Again, I failed at that 
pretty often. But if you as a, as a manager don't try to set that example for other people, then they're going to follow you and they're going to assume that that's how things are done on your team. Well, I think that saying it and trying and saying where you failed at it is what you can do to set the example. You know, and then not penalizing someone like, hey, I called you at 9 p.m. and you didn't answer. Where were you? Like, no, because it was 9 p.m. and they shouldn't be answering and you shouldn't be calling. Mm-hmm. And so it's setting the example that you were doing. And even if you were failing at it, you were acknowledging it and trying and showing them that you, you were trying. And I think that that's what a good manager does. Yeah. And, you know, we do need to make ourselves available for emergencies, right? In in work situations, stuff comes up in our careers where we just need to be reached. And that's how it goes. You know, but at Google, I had a boss who used to say, um, there's no such thing as an urgent email. And I love that idea because it gives you permission to not be checking for email every few minutes in case of emergency. Mm -hmm. If you can trust in your, your colleagues and your boss and your boss's boss, that if there is actually an emergency that comes up that needs your attention right at that moment, that they will pick up the phone and call you, then it gives you that freedom to put your device down and to sink more kind of fully into whatever it is you want to do, you know, outside of that. Spend time with your kids or, um, you know, go to the gym or whatever it might be. Yeah, I agree with that. Me too. Me too. So Chris, how do you define the difference between a coach, a career coach, and a therapist? Oh man, that is like, that is the question. Um, It it can get slippery sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I will give my understanding of it and I would love to hear both of your thoughts on it too. Um, So the way that I think about it is that a therapist, of course, is is someone who is licensed Mm -hmm. in mental health disorders and they help people heal from mental health disorders. That's, that's just one fundamental mm-hmm. uh, difference. I have often found too that therapists spend more time looking backwards and healing um, injuries. Uh, you know, tell me about your mother, you know, the, 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 the old, the old uh, therapist, uh, you know, therapist trope. Right. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you spend a lot of time looking back into your past and figuring out where you, where you were wounded and how you can heal those wounds. You know, the way that I think about a coach is very different. Coaches really look at now, where are you now? Mm-hmm. There could be emotion as part of that. You know, where are you now? I'm sad right now. Mm-hmm. I am so excited right now. I am angry. I'm whatever. You know, you can be um, in your emotions right now, but you're still, you're focusing on, on now. And where, and the future, where do I want to go? That's, of course, not to say that you can't look back and say, you know, what are the things in, in my past that give me some good clues on how I can really figure out better where I am now and how to figure out better where to go, where I want to go. Um, but, you know, I find that coaching is really kind of focused on where am I today and where do I want to go and take active steps to get there. And, you know, I think uh, whether you're a career coach or a, an executive coach or a communications coach or a marriage coach or whatever kind of coach you are, I think that's, that's pretty common. Um, there are some differences in, in career coaching though, right? I mean, I know some people are really focused on kind of the nuts and bolts of it, which can be very useful. You know, how do I make my LinkedIn much more appealing? Um, uh, can you edit my resume for me um, and give me or give me guidance on that? Um, you know, so much of the work that you guys have been doing, you know, every time I listen each week, I learn a lot about the job search process and about, 
um, how to, you know, to really handle the, a lot of the tactical parts of it. In the kind of coaching that I do, I don't spend a lot of time giving people answers. I spend a lot of time asking them questions mm-hmm. because, I, again, I trust that they have the answers inside of them if I can just help them listen. And sometimes that's the hardest thing is to listen to what we're really trying to tell ourselves. Kat, I'd love to hear your thoughts since you kind of go between, well, I wouldn't say the therapist part because that's... Well, I'm, not, I'm not a licensed therapist, Liz. No, um, so. But yeah. I, am, I am fascinated by how our events in the past can impact us today. And I love helping people unpack that. You know, since this is a career podcast, right? You know, if I'm working with a candidate who has all of the nuts and bolts done, we've got, we've got the ideal job list, we've got the resume... But if I can sense that they're dealing with something like imposter syndrome, which, is, by the way, is quite common, you know, even people with the best looking game out there, you know, when, when you get down to it, there might be a little bit of that going on. And maybe that's where that game was developed, right? So I really like to help people find their confidence, right? Find their alignment and align with what is really true as opposed to maybe the lies that they're telling themselves. So I'm definitely not a therapist. I mean, there are disorders, multiple, multiple mental disorders that I am not qualified to help people with. But I do enjoy helping people get aligned, right? And to find that power, we all have an innate power. And sometimes it's just helpful to have someone remind you of that. And I agree with you, Chris. I, you, know, you ask your client questions, right? You bring it out of them. Um, as opposed to being the person who gives advice all the time. Yeah, and, and Kat, I, I 100% agree with you about the power of storytelling, the power of mm. the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes those stories can be incredible forces for good, and sometimes they just screw us, you mm-hmm. know? Sometimes mm-hmm. the story that we have in our head is that we can't do it. It's that we, uh, we don't deserve it. It's that we haven't worked hard enough. It's that we just need to do a little bit more research or we just need to try a few more things over here rather than just going after it. You know, we internalize the stories that other people have told about us, mm-hmm. often the negative stories, not the positive stories. And, you know, understanding how the stories that we tell ourselves impact us is a really important part of moving forward. I, I agree with you completely on that. Liz, what about you? What are you thinking here? Okay. So therapist, we've all agreed, is a more licensed person. I, I think that the coach, there's, there's a coach is like, I'm stuck in life and kind of can't get out. Like, I feel like I'm drowning. And I think a career coach, and I put executive coach and all of that in that bucket, is around things that have to do with your career. So mm-hmm. if you've got issues that, you know, you keep befriending people that aren't good friends for you or something like that. That's more of a life coach. What choices are you making in your life? You know, where you live, what, what's not making you happy or what is making you happy and dealing with that. But I think a career coach is for those times that you're stuck in your career, whether it be, I don't know how to interview and that's more of an advisory thing or just what should I do next? I don't, I don't even know where my career is going. I feel stuck. And I, I think that for me as a career coach, I base it on what they're wanting. So if they want, Mm -hmm. help me prep for this interview, sure, we can definitely do that. But often we look back on all their career choices and look for patterns Mm -hmm. and look for what did you like? What didn't you like? So what should you now look for going forward? Because they don't even see the patterns themselves. So it's kind of 
helping them walk down memory lane. And as you guys both said, answer the questions that they haven't put together mm-hmm. for themselves. I'd love to turn directions since both of you have done a digital detox. And I think dun, dun, dun. <laughs> digital detox. Um, and so, and Chris is in the middle of one yeah. right now. And so I'd love to. I'm breaking all of my rules just by being on this podcast with you. No, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not really. First, I want to ask what made you decide to do a digital detox, Chris? And then my next question is going to be what are the rules? Yeah. Um, I realized that I have a problem with technology. Um, I wanted, I am doing a digital detox because I want to change my fundamental relationship with my devices. It's kind of as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have been in a lot of jobs where a lot of, you know, hot time sensitive things were flowing through all the time text message, email, phone calls, whatever. I had to have my devices close a lot. Funny, when you lead privacy communications for Google, that kind of thing happens sometimes. So weird. So I had to have my device around all the time. And I trained myself in accepting that 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 was a requirement of the job. I kind of accepted everything that came with that. And that includes things like the itchy phone thumb, you know, where you just kind of constantly want to check your device. I'm just going to look just to see if there's something new. And the craziest thing was that when I left my job last year, I knew I didn't have emails coming in, right? I just cut off the fire hose and I just kept checking. I don't know why. I had just trained myself to do that. And when I didn't, I got so antsy. And I think it was because, again, I was just afraid of silence. I was afraid of stillness. I was afraid of not being distracted. I didn't know how to do it. I just needed to practice it more. And I've come a long way since then, but I am not as far as I want to be. And it creates problems for me. You know, there are times when I do find myself doing stupid stuff. Like I'm in the middle of hanging out with my 11 year old son, who is awesome. You know, we are having a really fun time. We're playing ball in the house. We're breaking stuff all over the place. The tennis balls bouncing off the bar, (laughs) knocking over things. And we're just having like a best time. And I'm being a kid again. And then my phone will buzz and I'll go running over to the table just to see who it was who texted me. And in what world could the person who texted me and what they were saying be more important than spending that time with my son? There is no world. uh, Well, maybe I guess there is one, but I I don't want to know it. So um, I just realized that the habit that I was in of checking my phone all the time was just that, a habit. And there are ways to address habits. And so I read this book called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I'd read another book that he did last year, which I really loved called Deep Focus, which helps teach you how to concentrate. And I decided at that time that kind of going around the edges of breaking up with my phone wasn't enough. And I needed to do it in a more rigorous, strict way. Cool. And Kat, before Chris answers my second question, because it's coming, what made you do the digital detox? Well, the digital detox was something that my husband, John, and I did together. And John and I are not only married, but we're also business partners. Well, we've been together for 19 years, but we've been working together solidly for about three years. And uh, let me tell you, (laughs) uh, I don't necessarily recommend working with your spouse, but 
it has given me opportunities to practice things like a digital detox. You know, we were working with a fast-growing company and um, we've got a consulting company. And I would say that about a year ago, I really started noticing, you know, life is just all about work and business and deliverables. And it wasn't until September that we started the digital detox. So I would say that my main motivation for doing the digital detox was about, I don't want to say saving my marriage, that's kind of an extreme thing, but but was really kind of about bringing back the integrity into the relationship. Sounds like work-life balance. Right, right. And then I learned, you know, I learned all sorts of things uh, that had nothing to do with the relationship from the process, right? Mm -hmm. So Chris, what were your rules of your digital, or what are, because it's happening right now, what are your rules of the digital detox? Yeah, this is one of those situations where being gentle to yourself is really important because mm-hmm. uh, I'm failing all over the place and I'm trying to be kind to myself about that and learn along the way. So I started off with one set of rules and I kept postponing the beginning of the digital detox because I said, oh, I just, what about this fringe scenario? What happens in this case and in this case? And finally, I just said, oh man, forget it. I just need to start. But I did write down a whole series of rules around social media, around email and text messaging, around uh, sports websites, for example. I am a big Boston Red Sox fan and like all Boston sports. I check regular sports, I check fantasy sports, just sort of incessantly. Mm -hmm. And I just had to carve out some hard and fast rules for myself about what I would do and what I wouldn't do. So just to give an example, like audiobooks and podcasts, only when I'm in the car. Like when I'm driving, then I can listen to a podcast or an audiobook. But when I'm just walking around the house or in my neighborhood or something, I can't. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, none. Like for 30 days, none. Wow. LinkedIn has been harder because mm-hmm. I see it as social media in some ways. And it does have that sort of crack quality to me where I just keep going back to it over and over again. Maybe there's something new. Mm -hmm. I get so much professional use out of it. I get so much research use out of it. If I'm going to be talking to somebody or I I meet somebody, I want to connect with them on LinkedIn so that we can continue a relationship. And so I've been sort of feeling my way through, um, through LinkedIn. The hardest one for me by far has been communications. I have, I have found that Stopping the mindless web surfing, I've done really well on. And I'm glad about that. Where I've been doing really badly uh, is around texting and email. So the Mm -hmm. rules that I set for myself were that I could check each of them three times a day. And I would basically batch process. This is something that they talked about in... uh, That Calvin Newport talked about in Digital Minimalism, which is to do it at one stretch, like one stretch of time so that you're focused on that. You're like, okay, all this other time I'm not texting. And now is the time where I will be texting. And I'm just going to focus on that. And then the rest of the time I'll be doing other things. I kind of said, okay, I'll just wait until it's been a while. And you know, when you're used to having a phone in front of you all the time, 30 minutes feels like a while, (laughs) like in all capital letters, Mm -hmm. a while. So I would just find myself dipping back into it and then realizing, oh crap, it hasn't been four hours or five hours. It's been like 12 minutes. <laughs> and I started setting much more careful, like well-intentioned rules, like 9 a.m., 2 p.m., 8 p.m. And those are, those are my times. 
you know, I'm in meetings during some of those times. So I have a little bit of flexibility that I've been giving myself. And some days, you know, stuff goes wrong and I say, ah, tomorrow's another day. But overall, it's been really great. Awesome. Kat, what were your roles? Okay, I need to think back. The first one was no devices after 8 p.m., Mm -hmm. which seems reasonable, right? But I'll tell you, I was white knuckling it the first week. I mean, literally, like, and I realized this doesn't have anything to do with my marriage, right? (laughs) This This is about me and my relationship with these digital products. And then I realized after the first week, wait a minute, does that mean I can't use my Calm app, which I use it for meditation? And also sometimes sleep stories at night. And I also really love music. So after the first week, I made those exceptions, right? But most of the people in my life knew that if they were going to text me after eight o'clock, I wasn't going to be available. And so, yeah, I want to get back into that. We're negotiating doing another one and having it maybe be a little bit longer term. We did it for six weeks. And then the other thing that I started doing after the detox was... Just taking Sunday as free from social media, you know, most, most digital stuff. I found that to be really good. You know, we've got, you mentioned this earlier, Chris, all the inputs, right? There's so much inputs coming at us all the time. And every now and then it's just so great to cut yourself off from the inputs, just to have a little bit of silence. So our rules were pretty simple, but we're super challenging. You know, I I remember we, we went on a vacation to Hawaii and I caught a cold. And I think I went to sleep at around eight o'clock, right? I went to sleep super early and I woke up at 2 a.m. and I looked over and John had his phone at 2 a.m. And I was like, you're already, you know, and, and then I thought about, Busted. right. Of course I thought, you know, my, my mother always taught me, you know, be careful when you point a finger at someone because there's three, there's three fingers pointing back at you. You know, it, it was definitely challenging, but it was super good for us. And, um, you know, it's a slippery slope this technology thing, you know, I'm finding myself being far too reliant again, and I don't like that. So I think it's time to go for another round. So what, what would each of you say is your, have been your biggest learnings from it up till now? I guess, Kat, you kind of just said it, that, you know, you realize your weaknesses around it and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your reliance on it. Mm-hmm. Chris, what do you think has been your learnings thus far besides the gentleness? And I think when you embark on anything like this, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't work. Because like, if I said no phone on Sunday, I've got to be able to check the calendar because if I forget what time baseball practice is, I got to look mm-hmm. and it's on the phone. And so I can't have that hard and fast rule. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I'm not trying to cut back or whatever. I just have to know what time to get the kid to the field. So I think that it's really important if you're going to do something like this to be really gentle. Because you realize things that you didn't think about going in that have to be exceptions in the world that we live in. So, Chris, what do you think you've learned thus far besides gentleness? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, it's much harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't quite know it was going to be that hard. And what I found the easiest is when I just leave my phone at home, because then I don't have to think about any of the rules. Mm-hmm. I, It's just not there. And piece of cake. Um, But I think the highest level thing that I've learned is just this concept that these pieces of technology were created to serve us, not the other way around. And again, I worked at, at Apple and at Google, and I'm really proud of those companies. And I'm really proud of the intention that they put into making 
the technology that they make. And it has made our lives infinitely better. And it has made all of us have to think about our relationship with technology and, you know, really consider how we can incorporate it into our lives in a way that it is truly serving us rather than just becoming a mindless act. Mm -hmm. And so the digital detox that I'm doing is, I don't know if you've, you know, if if you're familiar with the whole 30 diet, it's -hmm. a lot like that. You know, you take away a lot of the junk food, right? Which is the, I won't name any names, but you know, it's a lot of the social media and other things that we do that doesn't really add that much to our lives. Like when we really look at it and you take that away for 30 days and you just use it for things that are really critical. And then at the end of those 30 days, by that point, you should have figured out what really matters to you and how you want to be spending your time. And then you start to incorporate back the things and only the things that support what really matters to you. So if your son's baseball is really important to you, and that's something that is an important part of your life, and you need your phone to help make that happen, yeah, do that. If you are sitting there in the stands looking at your phone instead of watching your son's game, then maybe the digital detox is a good thing to try. And I know because I found myself in that situation way too often. What's been the biggest challenge? Kat mentioned the Calm app and music. And I think any other challenges, Kat, while Chris is thinking about his that you can remember? Oh, I just think it was it was a pretty big thing for us. So the first couple of weeks were pretty tough. I would say the first couple of weeks were very challenging. Try anytime, you know, anytime you try something new and try to create a new habit, you know, stuff comes up, right? So it was interesting uh, to to observe that stuff. You know, again, I think the biggest thing for me was this is more about me than my relationship. Yeah, for me, I think it's it's not having access to all of the world's information at your fingertips anytime you want it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're having a discussion with somebody and you know that there's a right answer and all you need to do is is mm-hmm. ask Google what the answer to that question is. You know, what is the middle name of that actor? Like there is an answer to that question and it's really easy to find. And if you have given yourself a rule that you can't look it up on your phone, uh, it can be, sometimes it can be kind of fun for something like that. You know, but other times, what is the proper temperature to uh, to bake that sweet potato at? You know, and for how long? I'd rather not burn my dinner. So should I look? Should I not look? You know, all those little tests that show up during the day are the ones that kind of caught me off guard. You know, something pops into my head and I say, oh, I need to write that down. I'll I'll, I'll just make a reminder for myself. And I'm like, oh, I don't have any paper. I would have put that on my phone. Should I put it on my phone? Wait, if I use Siri, does it count? (laughs) (laughs) So you start to cheat in all kinds of fun ways. But I think yeah. that that's a really interesting example because you're possibly changing your own processes to make yourself less reliant because your first thought is I'll put it in my phone. Then you're like, wait, no phone. Mm-hmm. Do I start writing it down? And so maybe the transformation may end up being that you keep a notebook with you as well mm-hmm. as your phone so that you don't have to pick up your phone every time you want to make a to-do list. I yeah. don't know. Hey, so if you will bear with me, I'm going to try to bring this back to the very topic of your podcast. Yes. And I'm going to say that what we have really just been talking about with the digital detox Mm -hmm. is both attention, like paying attention and intention, right? Mm -hmm. And careers go wrong when we stop doing both of those things. If we stop paying attention to how we're spending our time in our careers and how it makes us feel and what the impact is on the people around us and all that, and we don't take the time to like be really intentional about 
our career paths, we can find ourselves standing, you know, in like our late 30s, early 40s, 50s, 60s, 90s, whatever, saying, how did I get here again? Like, I know each decision that I made to get to this job, but that doesn't mean that it's the right one for where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having that kind of courage to say, this is not really working for me anymore. I want to be really thoughtful about what would work for me and what I want to be doing and how I want to make an impact through my career. That's a hard thing to do, but can really make you much happier on the back end. And I think that it goes back to decisions, right? So you're deciding right now to do the digital detox. You're deciding to change your relationship with technology. Sometimes it's that kind of thoughtfulness. Like, wait, I want to decide to make a change in my career. I'm traveling 90% of the time. I hate it. I'm miserable. I need to find another path that meets all of my financial and inspirational and cognitive needs. What can I do? And you find yourself in crossroads in different ways, career-wise, life-wise, mm-hmm. your relationship with technology, and you have to choose, you know, the road diverged, which road do you travel? You choose which one you go down and you can always walk back and choose the other one because that works better for your life at that moment. Yeah. And when you're 25 years old and you're trying to prove yourself and you're trying to see this, you know, like great world around us, mm-hmm. traveling 90% of the time sounds awesome, right? You get to go, you get to hang out, you have an expense account, you do lots of cool things. Like it's great, you know? And then if you're 35 and you have a young child and you actually like your house and mm-hmm. your body doesn't recover quite as well from those trips, you start to say, you know, that was a great job for like 10 years ago, but I'm kind of feeling like I'm evolving past that, you know? Mm-hmm. So just continuing to check in and, and figure out where am I now? Is this working for me or not? Is really important. And so also to keep it on work, like the digital detox in relation to work, you know, you mentioned checking throughout the day, but in terms of coworkers and colleagues or as a manager, you know, I feel like as a manager of people now, I've got, I'm getting texts and things all throughout the day that I want them to be, not be stuck because they're waiting on my opinion. So how do you do that at work? Especially thinking back to when you had more colleagues and things like that, where it wasn't as cut and dry. Yeah. You know, I think that my career right now is especially set up for me to experiment with this, mm-hmm. but I think that probably... There are some jobs where you can do it and some jobs where you can't. And some jobs where you could try and see how it goes. And maybe you can't do it fully as much as you want. You can have rules for in the office and rules for at home. Mm -hmm. You can try that out and see how that goes. Or you can also just try to set rules of engagement in your office. You know, you can go to your manager and say, listen, here's what I'm thinking. Would this work? You know, would this work for you? Do I have your support? Is there a way that we could tweak it that would make it work for you? You know, like for example... I will not be checking texts and emails, um, you know, f- from nine until noon. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'd rather be having face-to-face conversations and then concentrating and writing these things up in a way that actually adds value to the organization, right? Like thought is kind of a rare commodity these days, right? Like thoughtfulness is a rare commodity these days. And so if you can say to your manager, I want to use that time to make this team better and to make this organization better, then that may be something that they go for. And you can say, listen, I will put you on my favorites list Mm -hmm. and I will set up an override so that if any of my favorites call during that time, my phone will ring. 
My wife, by the way, is one of my favorites, and I will always accept the call when she calls me. Um, you know, then maybe your manager will be fine with that. And then telling other people who report to you or who are colleagues with you, hey, listen, I'm not going to be available between nine and twelve because I'm going to be, you know, working on like more kind of deep work projects. So if you can do me a favor and schedule meetings with me in the afternoon, great. Or if I don't get back to you and the text message you sent during that time, don't take it personally. It's just because I'm trying to really focus on these projects that I'm working on. Try it out. See what works. Sorry, you didn't make my favorites list. Um, <laughs> I will not be accepting your call till one. I think you've got a really strong point there, Chris, in that if people are going to do this, it needs to be their rules, right? It needs to be something that's going to work for them. So, you know, doing a digital detox like Chris's may not be may not be the, the best for me and vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's part of it is knowing who you are and starting, you know, sometimes sometimes it's starting small and building. There's lots of different strategies, but I think the most important thing is feeling aligned with what you do decide to do and remembering your why. Because that's helpful when it's past, you know, cutoff time or when you want your phone and you didn't bring it with you. Remembering your why is super helpful. You know, why are you doing this? Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Well, on that note, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. And I'm so grateful, Chris, that you joined us today and talked all through lots of stuff today. We've we've definitely hit a lot of things. And I think that I'm hopeful that this is going to be helpful for people who are feeling that stuck feeling and maybe whether it be with their career, with the technology, with all these different things and to have some tools and tips now to move past that and to get themselves a little bit unstuck. Absolutely. Chris, thank you so much. It was great talking with you tonight. I really enjoyed it. Um, How can folks find you? Well, not on social media at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) But LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah, I I am on LinkedIn. You can also email me, chris at chrisgaither.com. Yeah, I'm doing some posting on Medium about my experiences with digital detox. Nobody is finding it yet because I haven't been sharing it on social media, Um, but you know, that's okay. I'm doing it more for me than for anybody else, but I am on Twitter and Facebook and the other usual places, just not for the next month. And (laughs) after, after that, we'll, uh, I'm going to be deciding what the right path forward is for me. Cool. Awesome. But thank you so much. This was really fun. And Liz, it reminded me so much of our conversations in high school. This, you know, it's just like, just like high school. <laughs> we were always talking about social media 25 years ago. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. It's been great having you. This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and real job talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a tech reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Froyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you. <laughs>